Hi, this is Mario Andretti. Mark Blundell. Mark Priestley. Claire Cottingham. Ben Edwards. Jamie Chadwick. Mark Gallagher. Freddie Hunt. Bobby Eaton. Craig Scarborough. Alex Brundle. You're listening to... And you're listening to... You're listening to... Everything F1. Everything F1. Everything F1. Everything F1 podcast. Driven. Driven. Driven by fans. For fans. Welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. My name is Sean, and joining me today is Coops. Hi, Coops. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. And returning from last week is Connor. Hi, Connor. Great to have you back on. Thank you. Yeah, good to be back. Now, we have had a very busy weekend with lots of car launches, which we will, of course, get into. But before we do that, we are, of course, Everything F1. You can find us on all socials at Join EF1 on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok and of course we post daily news and articles on our website www.everythingf1.com now then let's get straight into it because it's been a busy enough weekend lads hasn't it we've had three new car launches all with new looking designs two pretty okay events and one totally pathetic video that just just happened and then ended and I think we'll start with that one because it was the worst with AlphaTauri so it didn't really reveal all that much other than a pretty striking new livery, at least I thought so, but it has seemingly divided opinion quite drastically across the internet. I love it, but my girlfriend hates it. I didn't like last year's one at all. I th- thought it was extremely boring, and a boring-looking car is a slow car, which is exactly what happened. But I think we'll start there. What did you make of the new livery? Connor, we'll come to you first. Livery? I, I, I quite liked it. I'm like, I'm on with you. I'm on the side with you with that one mm. because it was much nicer than last year, in my opinion. You're right in the statement that a, a slow, boring car is a slow car. I can't think of any, I can't think of any examples where that's not true. So, yeah, no, I like the livery. Some interesting things going on there as well behind the uh, behind the livery. So yeah, it's it's not bad. Mm. Coops, what about yourself? What did you think of all the shall we say random flecks of red? Yeah, I was a bit from the side view that you saw in the video. It was very slapdash. It's as if they'd made the car livery and then, then signed the sponsor and thought, hey, where can we put it? From the front, it looks nice. And, you know, and I think it's a theme with all these car launches this year. When you see it on its own, you think it's not very different. And then you see it against last year and you're like, oh, okay, so that's a wee bit different. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I was a bit underwhelmed. I don't know if it was the video. They went from two extremes. You went from Red Bull's main launch that lasted 50 minutes to show last year's livery and last year's car. And this year it was like, a, what is that, a couple of minute video, them standing with the Alpha Tallery clothesline, the car. Bunch of mannequins. Yeah. <laughs> and then it ended and it was like, oh, okay. Alpha Tallery, I've got a lot to prove this season. The car needs to do a lot better than it was. It wasn't a very good car at all last year. So let's hope that. As you say, it looks better, it drives better. Hopefully, they can't really go any further down. They finished ninth last season, so hopefully the, the old adage of opposite what we said, you know, a quick, a good-looking car is a quick car. I, I think it looks quite good, but if half the internet's to be believed, they're going to finish last this year. So it, it, it's, it's, I think it's a bit odd how, how drastically it's divided opinion. I think it's quite a good-looking car. I think it's quite striking. I actually like the flecks of red. I think they just stand out nicely. Obviously, this is all just on the designs. We still don't know yet what it'll look like in real life. And I think the lovely metallic-looking navy won't look anywhere near that good on track. But you mentioned there, Coops, obviously it's a, it's a big, big season for Alpha Tauri. And I want to touch quickly on Yuki Tsunoda, who is their senior driver now. 
even though he's still shorter than the other guy. France Sauce has come out and say that, yes, Yuki is a quick and talented driver, but he he needs to, to take that next step. Do you think he can do it? Oh, I don't know. And that's the worry. You know, he came in with a bit of a fanfare a couple of seasons ago. We all loved him and we're all like, he'll be brilliant. And then the kind of wheels fell off the wagon very quickly and he started becoming a pretty reckless rookie that season. Mm. Last year he was very anonymous, but then that's not his fault. The car just didn't allow him to do anything. So there is a wee bit of added pressure. You know, yeah, it's fair that Franz Toss needs to do that. He's he's now the senior member of the team with the Nick DeFries coming in as the rookie. But yeah, you know, Alpha Tower still need to provide him with something that he can actually do something with. Mm. But, you know, three years, yeah, this will be his third season in Formula One. He needs to show there's a reason. There's this we've discussed in previous podcasts. I think we mentioned the last time we were on together that there is a lot of people waiting in the wings. Yeah. You know, to come in. So he needs to show something. And his teammate, obviously, rookie, but not technically a rookie because he has raced in Formula 1, but it's his first full season. Nick DeVries, he's late to the game. He's, what, 28 now, I believe? Or mm-hmm. he will be by the time he, he races in Bahrain. Connor, we've touched on it a little bit, but is there maybe too much hype around him? Do you think he'll succumb to the pressure or is he going to come in and impress like he did in Monza and kind of cost Yuki his Formula 1 drive if he outdrives him? I think he's very underrated. I've never understood the criticism that he's faced. If you look, I mean, you know, drivers develop at different rates. So junior careers isn't always a basis to go off, but you can certainly look at it and he was successful. Definitely warranted of an F1 drive, certainly, because if you look at his performances right through, obviously, in Formula 2 in 2018, he was right up there. He won a few feature races and that was against a field of, the likes with the field of lights of George Russell, Lando Norris, Alex Albon, you know, that was a very, very strong grid. And he was able to have some very, very good results. He actually dominated the, the Sparfield race from what I can remember from that year. So now I've never understood the criticism. And then he comes in last season, you know, he's obviously done some FP1s for Mercedes and Aston Martin and Williams, but then he comes in and, and performs like that certainly deserving of an F1 driver. And mm. I can't see anyone else apart from uh, Herter, Colton Herter, who would have been a better option for Alpha Tauri. And then again, I, I think I would probably at this point take De Vries over Herter purely based off F1 experience. I think he's a fantastic driver. I'm not saying he's going to be a world beater, but 100% a solid midfield driver there. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, like you said, his record kind of speaks for himself. He would kind of shuffled around the, the the series a lot obviously he was dumped out by McLaren early on they they like Ron Dennis tipped him as the next big thing they, they loved him and they pretty they, they got rid of him pretty early on in his career but he's gone on to win everything he's won Formula E he won for he won F2 obviously but you mentioned that kind of the other only other option for them this year was Colton Herta and even at that that was a long shot at best has the identity of that team kind of gone i mean the alpha Tari and tower also has always been kind of the testing bed for the red bull juniors like every single successful red bull driver has come through that rank but now they've got someone who's come from mercedes he was never in the red bull program and let's be honest yuki was a, a honda graduate he, he was put in there by honda and he's just kind of still there it doesn't really look like the, the team of old anymore does it i mean i'm looking through their their kind of their list of of junior drivers now on their official website and they've got liam lawson I think he's a good driver. And beyond that, I don't really see any of the rest of them as being F1 quality. Jack Crawford, Enzo Fittipaldi, 
Hajar, Hauger, and Iwasa, all good F2 drivers, but I don't think any of them are Formula One drivers. Have Red Bull just kind of neglected their 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 junior series, their 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 junior drivers, Coops, do you think? I think when you start sacking them pretty quickly into a season, you don't yes. <laughs> you eventually are going to start <laughs> running out. You know, there's there's a there's a pretty impressive graveyard of Formula One driver careers or ex Formula One drivers careers, you know. And it started way at the beginning, you know. I was looking up some stuff for an article I'm writing for the website and you know, it was about Red Bull, Jaguar, Stuart. And you know, the when they came in in two thousand and five, they had David Coulter as their main driver. And then they were splitting it between Leutze and the name the other person escaped. Okay, yeah. So, you know, Leutze only ended up taking four uh, drives that year. But they came in with the idea, and I'd never seen that before in my time. I think it was more popular way back in the day, where the drivers would swap a lot. But usually it was two drivers, went for the season. If it were really bad, they didn't come back. Whereas Red Bull were like, oh, no, 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 we're not doing that. <laughs> you know, we're going to swap things about. But yeah, you, you will always get to that point. There's that saturation point. You find people in, you move people around. Albon got moved up from uh, Toro Rosso at the time to Red Bull too soon. Gasly was the same. You know, you push people too much or the wrong way and you don't treat them right, you're going to ruin their career because mm. it's just not going to work. So it's a legacy or a, a, a result of the way that they've treated their drivers. And, you know, for the next couple of seasons, if Nick DeFries does well and is confident enough and if he manages to beat Sonoda or even keeps within, you know, a couple of points of him over the course of the season, they'll keep him for a few years, let everybody else develop, maybe look around and see what young ones are there and then maybe, you know, maybe for 2026 they might bring in some other young ones. But Well, talking of 2026, we kind of touched on this last week with kind of Honda being up in the air for, for, for 2026 and beyond. With... Dietrich Mateschitz passing away last year. Red Bull's kind of commitment to the sport has been in question because obviously he was the driving force behind that. There are some members of the board that are very, do we really need this anymore kind of thing. So a lot of questions have been thrown up of do they, but whatever about the first team, which are winning everything at the moment, do they need the second team? I just wanted to just kind of touch on this again. Does this maybe open up an option for Honda to take over a team again? If Red Bull are, are, are leaving off to Ford, there, there, there might be this option. Red Bull might not want the second team anymore. Their board might not want the second team anymore. Do you think that might? And it, that, that they might just like let the second team go? I think they're not actively pursuing a sale of Alpha Tauri, but if something was to come up that was like too good to choose or too good to ignore, then they would let it go. But mm. it's not a case of we want Red as you've just touched on with Dietrich Matisic passing away, God knows what happens, you know, Red Bull Racing was his, it wasn't, mm. you know, he co-founded Red Bull, but founded Red Bull Racing. So was it, was, baby, yeah. it was his thing. And I think the Red Bull main team is not going away anytime soon. It funds mm. itself, especially with the cost cap, even beforehand, you know, sponsorships. And even when they weren't winning, it won. It was more or less funding itself. And it's a brand, that's their way, way for stopping. So that's not going anywhere. But you're right. I mean, Alpha Tauri could be sold. As I say, they're not looking to get rid. But you know, if Honda comes in and says, we'll take it over, we don't want anything, we'll do it, you know, whatever kind of deal they come up with and it works for both parties, then mm. yeah. 
Yeah, I can't see Red Bull being too like loyal to us in, in a situation like that. No, and it'd be, it might even be an option for Porsche. If Porsche That'd are, be interesting, you know, yeah. if Porsche really want to come back in, it's already an established team. Take it and mm. take all the people that are there with it. You can fire in a few folk. The infrastructure's there. You know, and just rebadge it and you do what you want with it. You know, mm. you know, maybe Red Bull could do what Salva did and put in some guarantees that, you know, if they're taking over, you need to have it for so many years, whatever. Because, mm. you know, who's the main man at Salva was very particular about if he sells it, I'll sell it to you. But you need to guarantee me you ain't going to have it for two years and get rid of it. You know, you mm. have to do certain things. So, that that you know maybe yeah Portugal could be a shout as well I was reading was it last week that they, they are still very interested in Formula One especially for 2026 because they're desperate to pursue the technologies that will mean they don't have to make the 911 an electric car and I can't think of anything worse in the entire world than an electric 911 it's my favorite car in the world and the idea of that being electrified makes me vomit so they, they are very very seriously with obviously the the renewable fuels that Formula One is going towards that obviously makes internal combustion still very viable for a big sports car company like Porsche. So I, th- I don't think they're out of the running yet. But let's move it on then to today. Obviously, we had two actual car launches, not insanely long 50-minute showpieces or rubbish videos or pictures on the internet on Twitter for five seconds. We did actually have the launch of the McLaren MCL60, which I think is a nice name, a throwback to their 60th year in Formula 1, or 60th year of existence, really. And Aston Martin launched the AMR23. Both had new drivers to announce, Oscar Piastri for McLaren and Fernando Alonso for Aston. And obviously, we are not so secret McLaren fans on this on this podcast. So I think we will start there. They had the first car launch today. And... I like the look of it, but if I'm taking my McLaren hat off, they've sort of gone the Red Bull lazy way. It looks almost identical to the livery they had at the end of last season. So, Connor, we'll start here. What did you think of the design? I, I, I quite like it. I like the orange. I like it's quite it's a bit of a futuristic kind of look to it. No, I think it's a it's a solid livery. I thought it was a really good launch as well. It was solid. It, it had a good you know, a little promotion behind it. They're celebrating the 60 year, 60th anniversary, which I think that's great to celebrate the history. And and obviously a team like McLaren is such a rich past in Formula One as well. So it's important to to show the new fans what the team's all about. So no, it was a really good launch. Probably, in my opinion, the best, the best launch actually, along with Aston Martin as well, because you had you know, quotes from the the drivers and the and the team principal and obviously Zach Brown. And with the Aston launch, you had Dan Fallows come up and talk about the car as well, which mm. I always like when the technical director comes and and talks about the car. Um, and so yeah, both launches today were really good. And and sorry to diverge, but the I think both the McLaren and especially the Aston Martin liveries were really really smart. Especially the Aston livery was perfect in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, we'll come on to that in a minute. Let's get your thoughts on on the McLaren more from a technical side. We they, they, they've they put up some some technical look throughs of it. F1 themselves have done kind of a, a technical analysis of it, at least what they could see. Obviously, the side pods I think are the most dramatically noticeable aspect on this car. It does look more like a real car that that might run in testing next week. Obviously, with a few tweaks, but it definitely isn't just a random show car that they just smacked some stickers on or last year's car that they stuck some stickers on. But they are already looking to make changes essentially today. 
tell, talk to us a little bit about that because I, I believe you've done a little bit more research into this than, than we had. Yeah, well, from what, I've, from what I've read, they haven't went into the specifics of it, but basically what they're saying is they're not 100% happy with basically what they've got with the MCL60. So they're looking to get that sorted with upgrades probably around about Azerbaijan. Hmm. Which doesn't bode well if you're a McLaren fan and they come out and say, here's a new car, but it's not that good. It's <laughs> effectively what they're saying. Like, it looks good, yet why change the livery? It, they've kind of settled on something they quite like the look of, so why not? Why change it? You hmm. know, you know, the side pods are very distinctive, they're very aggressive looking. I think it was yourself that mentioned that actually in our chat beforehand. It's a lot tighter looking. There's a bigger wash down the back of it. You know they've managed to sort out by the by what I've, what I'm hearing here. They've, 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 they've dealt with the cooling issues, which were hampering and handicapped the car at the start of the season last year. Which could be which could be critical because they were good in Spain last year in testing. Yes, they kind of shocked us all, and we were all extremely positive about McLaren. And obviously, then it just as soon as they got to any sort of heat, the brakes exploded. So it's good to hear that, that they're going into this season at least preliminarily aware that unaware of any sorts of issues like that well yeah they've managed to deal with that and you would think that somebody like that a team like mclaren would be able to sort that out uh, they knew what the issue was it was they, they they made a miscalculation with the amount of cooling that was needed in the brakes so mm. to counteract that they had to raise the ride height and of course with these new ground effect cars the higher away from the ground you are the less downforce you're going to get you know it's a snowball effect couldn't do anything about it for a good few races. They've managed to fix it. Came up, they became a bit more competitive as the season went on. So you know they're 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 going. They're definitely taking. So basically, the way I've looked at it for this year, actually taking a go as a bit of a general viewpoint. The way I'm looking at it, you've got two cars that were competitive. You had Ferraris theory, and you had Red Bull. Some teams are going to take Ferraris theory. Some are taking Red Bull. McLaren have went down Red Bulls. Mm. Wait, they're, they're slight. It's very, very similar. They've copied the homework, but they've changed the handwriting. Basically, <laughs> is how <laughs> I look at it. Uh, so there's, the, the, it looks very like a Red Bull in the concept, especially the rear of the, the the side pods. But there's some slight differences. So, you know, I try not to read too much into it. It's nice that we've got a car because we ain't going to see it until next next weekend or the weekend after. I think it is when we get the testing and we actually see what rolls out there. They they are they're being pessimists themselves because I think the thing is that makes me optimistic with this car and with this year is they've made the car but they know what they need to fix. Mm-hmm. So they know right this isn't exactly where we want it. So they've they'll obviously deal with their upgrade plan to sort that. Biggest problem is if you're using your upgrades to sort a problem, you ain't developing to be faster. Mm-hmm. Which as we all saw with Mercedes last year. So well, at the very least, like we said, they are aware of the problem, potential problems this time. Obviously, they still, they, for all we know, they might get to testing in Bahrain and discover, actually, that's not as big a problem as we thought it was. Or obviously, yeah. it might be much worse than they think it is. And the brakes might explode again. But obviously, they have a new driver lineup as well. They have Lando Norris, who, believe it or not, is into his fifth year in Formula One, despite only still being about 14 years old. <laughs> and Oscar Piastri has finally got his Formula One drive. Connor, how do you rate the, the driver lineup this year? What do you expect out of the out of the two lads? I think Norris speaks for himself. I think he's probably, you know, he's an elite driver. He's probably within the t- top three performers last season, in my opinion. Mm. With a car that had 
very difficult handling traits. We saw that, you know, the balance would change throughout the corner, depending on what corner and what conditions the track was at, the the, the balance of the car would change. And Norris showed how good he was at, at, at driving around those issues. Whereas obviously Ricardo struggled a lot more. That was those very peculiar handling characteristics of the McLaren last season. And this season, obviously, they're going to, was he going to try and attempt to iron out those issues? And I think that, you know, if Norris is able to drive, is it is able to drive subconsciously, he'll be able to take that car to another level. Because obviously last season he said he was having to consciously drive it, which is never, which is never a good thing. Because mm-hmm. any sport can operates at his best when he's when he's operating subconsciously. But Oscar Piastri, I mean, obviously he's got a fantastic junior pedigree, but we don't know exactly. We don't know until he until he gets to Formula One. You know, some drivers have fantastic junior careers, and then they get to Formula One, and 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 unfortunately they they fail. You know, I'm, I'm you know thinking of examples like Van Dorn, and if you go way back, look at it like Jan Magnussen as well, who everyone was tipping. You know, these are going to be fantastic, great drivers, future world champions, and then it never happened. So it all depends, and and obviously he's got he's got a goal against a driver like Norris, and that's no easy feat because we're talking about one of the elite drivers in the sport. But a lot of it's going to come down to you know whether McLaren are going to be able to fix the balance issues. Obviously, we've got the new Pirelli tyres this year as well, which should mitigate some of the understeer characteristics, which you know Norris doesn't like. Norris doesn't like a car that that is is lazy on on it and. Um, entry to the turning that's a car that you can really you know have a, have a responsive turning so we'll see but no the two drivers it's it's the youngest lineup and probably the most exciting lineup because you've got as i say norris who's an elite driver and piastri mm-hmm. unknown prospect but you know looking at his junior career and watching him throughout his junior career you'd say you know this is a, a potential future elite driver as well well, in our official ranking, well, the Everything Up Unofficial ranking, which is up on our website right now, we ranked them fourth. We, we, we polled the whole team. We applied, everyone put their rankings first to 10th, and we applied the F1 scoring system to it, and it came out McLaren in fourth, about 50 points behind Ferrari, which I thought was interesting. I thought the two of them were quite low, but I personally ranked them as second. I ranked Ferrari first. I ranked McLaren second because I, I, I think the same. I think Lando Norris is one of the top three drivers on the grid. I think if you put all of them in the same car, he'd be up there fighting with Max and Fernando Alonso, no questions asked. I think last year really, really showed that he does have that Lewis Hamilton spark in him. Like you said, he could just overdrive the car, even as it twitches through corners. Uh, so I think he, I think you're right. He's, 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 he really put himself on the map last year. Not that he hadn't already, but he really kind of took it to a next level. Piastri, I think, obviously you, you mentioned there was junior formula, he, but he comes in with so much pressure on his shoulders. He ha- he is the only only the third driver to win F two and F three in his rookie season, which only Charles Leclerc and George Russell did. So already he is in a pantheon of greats with those two, but those two had the benefit of coming into let's be honest crap cars when they started in Formula One. I don't think that's going to be the case with McLaren this year, Coops. No matter how many slight issues they they are going to expect to be challenging for the upper points and podiums throughout the seasons. There's a fair bit more pressure on Piastri than the other two, on top of all the other pressure that he has. I think there's pressure on Piastri just by the fiasco of him signing from McLaren, let alone anything else. That too. (laughs) You know, he... uh, I mean, it wasn't his fault. I mean, that's clear that was Alpine, and I think Alpine eventually sacked their lawyer or whoever dealt with contracts. You know, it was a bit of a mess. You know, but... You know, he said he stole it pretty early on. He's like, no, I'm not going to help you. I'm going where I want to go. And 
Mm. You're hearing all the right things. Yeah, I was reading something, I can't remember who said this, but somebody within McLaren was saying that, you know, Piastri is extremely demanded, you know, which is good. You know, he's a young man, he's what he doesn't care, he's a rookie. You know, he's this is his career, this is he wants things to be done the right way. So he's come in, he doesn't like it, he ain't gonna shy away, he's gonna say what he needs to say. You know, so he needs to then balance that with I need to go out there and perform. Mm. You know. We're not expecting him to beat Norris because, as you say, I think we've all... I was slightly less optimistic on Norris, shall we say, in the first... Maybe the first year he was in Formula 1. I thought he was good, but I'm like, I, there's something... But then, I think the following year, I was just like, oh, wait a minute, hold on here. You know, actually, because there wasn't a lot of conversation around him being on that tier, and then he just slowly brought himself up and if I'm right, is he the only one, only driver in 22 to get a podium outside the top three? There's a reason for that. That McLaren car isn't that wasn't that good last year. <laughs> so yeah, he knows where to put it. And yes, we all know Ricardo had some issues with the car and he wasn't good with it. But you know, it's Daniel Ricardo and Norris just wiped the floor with him, regardless mm. of that single victory, which Norris would have won if there wasn't. The situation, you know, team models. One other thing that they mentioned in the launch, which I thought was very interesting, that Zach Brown felt it important to, to to take it on himself to say, was that this is still a little bit of a transitional year, but a lot of exciting things are going to happen this year. Quite aside from it being their 60th year, namely, was that their wind tunnel in their in-house wind tunnel will come online about midway through this season. Is that going to affect this year's car? Probably not especially because it's not online yet and they have the cars going out and track next week but it should start to play a role in the second half of the season as they develop throughout the latter half of the season start to prep for next year so they reckon they could expect to see some pretty major upgrades in the latter half of the season a bit like they did a few years ago do you remember when they were prepping for the Mercedes changeover when they used their tokens to change suspension elements and wing elements and stuff like that so they didn't have to do it the following year I've been reading some articles that that's pretty much their plan for their in-house wind tunnel this year is to develop new stuff for this car that will immediately lead on to the next car and give them essentially a springboard closer to the front for next year. Do you think that will work out as people are maybe hoping it will or is it going to be a little bit longer before we see the, the benefits of that wind tunnel? Anything, if you have your own in-house wind tunnel and it's top top of the line, any kind of team is going to, going to have a jump. You know, because I think their previous wind tunnel wasn't, or what they were using, it wasn't their own one. Toyota's one in Germany. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't, it's not ideal. It's not next to the, you know, it's not nearby, I'm sure, even the chain of command to get things changed over and look at things and tweak things. It's probably a bit longer and a bit not efficient. Mm. But yeah, having your own wind tunnel and being able to use that, because this is a new rule, rule cycle, everything is going to be an evolution of the previous mm -hmm. year. So you're using your time to to do something for next year. Once you get the tweaks of this design kind of worked out, which McLaren have admitted they're going to have to do, you know, next year, yeah, things are going to be better. And you will expect you should, like, ah, it's the same for Aston Martin. They're building new factories. They're doing all that stuff. They're investing a lot of money. Once their stuff becomes online, you'd expect the jump. You'll see them, you would like to think, closer to the front. So, yeah, it will be good to see over the, the latter part of the season, uh, you know, as long as other factors like, you know, Norris has a good season, Piastri can get in there and, you know, be at the races 
excuse the pun, very, you know, there straight away, not Ricardo stuttering in mm. Ricardo-esque situation, but he's stuttering and down the back of the grid after like seven or eight races. So there is some exciting times for McLaren if they can get it right. Well, I certainly hope so, because I've just spent a small fortune on a McLaren jersey, and I'd like to be able to wear it with a bit of pride this year. Let's move on to Aston, as you mentioned there. Connor, you already touched on this a little bit, that you like that new design. I'm not a big fan of it, but I will admit, I was thrown off by the fact that the announcer in the stream said it's got a striking new colour, and they took the Union Jack off, and it was the same colour. It definitely didn't look that way in whatever way they've lit their studio, but I will admit, I've since seen the renders of it on social media and it does look a hell of a lot nicer it's much more metallic so what were your initial thoughts of the Aston obviously the the, the presentation was really good I thought it was definitely the, the the best car launch we've had this year so far but what, what were your initial thoughts on the car I'll, I'll, I'll be honest I'm not too interested in the deliveries that's just a color to me but it's more obviously what's going on bodywork wise and obviously we talk we could talk about side pods and things and obviously the teams are trying to the air down washing over the side pods yeah, accelerated to well the whip the rear brake up wing and so on things like that and that's an important so that's where a lot of teams are going this year with the the evolution of the cars but it, it we could talk about side pods all we want but a lot of it's what's going mm. on underneath the car floor it's so important and whatever you're seeing on the cars on the on the the upper body is isn't is, an, is in effect, to work the underfloor harder and better. That's mainly what we're seeing. Obviously, you know, teams are going to have different ideas and things how to go about it, but they're naturally converging. We've seen that with Aston Martin as well. But this time round, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they do, because obviously, again, they're in a transitional period, you know, between, you know, being a midfield team and trying to get to the front, just like McLaren are at the minute. Obviously, the, the bit Coops mentioned, the new factory being built as well. So, it, again... You know, Lawrence Stroll admitted that he's not the most patient of people, but he's going to have to be patient because Formula One is such a, a investment. It takes time to build up to being a top team. And obviously they've gone on a, ma- a major hiring spree with, you know, Dan Fallows, Eric Blandin coming in, to name a few. So, yeah, I like the launch. I like the way the team's going. And as I say, the teams, every team is going to naturally converge now in the second year of the regulations on a design you know apart from the odd out I, yeah. I, feel, I feel like they're just going to stick for that like out of stubbornness even if it doesn't work <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it'll be stubbornness I think they, they there's genuinely something in that concept can they make it work though that's it's it's not not so much about the side pods you know the side pods is the main point of differentiation last year but it's all about mm. what's going on under the car. That's the, that's the key. It's how you work the underfloor. So, you know, that's that's stuff we can't see, unfortunately. So as much as we could, we could talk about the technical side, obviously the underfloor is the most important part. And I think that's going to be that's going to be where, you know, obviously that's where the key performance is found. But yeah, Mercedes might look a little bit different to everyone else. I think they're going to mm. stick it out with that concept because there's definitely, it's more it's not so much the side pod concept that is the problem i think it was more related to the rear suspension stiffness and, and how that affected you know obviously the airflow underneath the underfloor and obviously affected circuits etc so you mentioned there obviously lawrence stroll he he said i think it probably spoke quite well and i have a lot of time for lawrence stroll because he has very much come come about as i'm not just lance's rich daddy i have a big investment 
in this sport now. He's obviously a huge fan of the sport. Historically, he's put a lot of his own money, really importantly, beyond just paying for Lance's seat. He has now put an enormous amount of his own money into buying into Aston Martin and getting them into Formula One. So this isn't just a pet project or, you know, an extended Christmas present for his son anymore. This is his own almost livelihood that he's kind of hedging his bets against. So based on that, then, is he being a little bit stupid to consider? Maybe that's a bit harsh, but to to just stick with Lance because obviously he's gone and got who I consider to be the best Formula One driver of all time in Fernando Alonso and I still think he's the best driver on that grid all things considered put them all in the same car he'll be world champion they've gone through all that effort they've clearly shown him something that he likes they're putting in all this money into the factory the wind tunnel all of this future planning and yet their second driver is the boss's son who seems to be completely safe in that car even if he smashes it every single week are they eventually going to have to move on from Lance or start giving him performance targets, Coop? If you're serious about being in Formula One, yes. There, there comes a point where it's not family business. Mm. I mean, I've just I've just had a quick Google there when you were you were doing your thing. And he Lawrence Stroll invested 182 million UK pounds to acquire a stake in Aston Martin, along with around 200 million pounds in a new HQ, not including how much he paid to buy. Force mm. India to turn it to racing point to then become Aston Martin. So you're Which talking was only a pound. <laughs> yeah, but then he acquired the debt and he paid the debt oh, yeah. off. So you know he had to, he had a lot of he had a lot of debt to pay as well. You know, I know that's the best. That's the best part of half a billion before they've even actually turned the wheel in anger. Yep, yep. Best part of that, and then whatever else he's invested in the money he's paying Alonso because it's not going to be cheap uh, Ooh, for someone does. like Alonso and even Vettel. So you know that. You know, Lawrence, although he's the face, it was a consortium that he's the main one of. So there's other people mm. that maybe are back that maybe never invested as much, or but they're still there. And you will have to get to a point, if he's crashing the car and doing a Mick Schumacher did last season every year, and, you know, he, he almost killed his teammate Vettel, he almost attempted to kill Alonso, you know, in, uh, in uh, <laughs> uh, at the America, in, uh, Texas. in Texas, yeah, so... There will be a point, but there needs to be a serious conversation. Like, you know, I did find, I did raise an eyebrow when Alonso came out and said that Stroll is potential to be a world champion. I'm not sure yeah, if you meant a world well. champion in Formula One. He's a solid enough driver. He does deserve to be in Formula One. However, is he championship winning material? No. Two thirds of that grid aren't either. So, and we've said that a lot on the show that I think we're all kind of in agreement that especially by the caliber of pay drivers we've had in Formula One recently, obviously Mazepin and Latifi coming to mind immediately. I think Lance Stroll has done more than enough to earn a space on the grid aside from the money. Obviously, he's been on pole and he's been on podiums a lot, mm-hmm. especially in his Williams days, which I thought was even more impressive. The, the racing point of the Force India was always a decent car. Yeah, and he could have won a race if the team he had have, made, yeah. a, made, made a mistake. It was Turkey, I think. I might Turkey, be wrong. yeah, where he was on pole. Yep. It was, a Mons, was it not Monza where he made? It was Monza as well when, when, Gaz, when Gasly won. Was he, was he not on the restart? Was he not on pole for the restart? Or was he second? I'm pretty he sure was he was second. on pole and then he went deep. Was that, deep. Was, that was Perez. That was the, the Perez first one. He, was, he came third. And he was in front of Perez and he went deep, which allowed Perez to go through and he ended up third. Mm. So he could have won that race as well if he didn't make a mistake. So he has the talent. All good examples of him ha- have, having the talent. But 
I always say, I think Sergio Perez is a world-class midfield driver. Yeah. <laughs> I yep. think Lance Stroll is getting there. I think he not quite world-class midfield driver. I think he's a very good midfield driver. But yes. Sebastian Vettel, in his last year of Formula 1, beat him by 13 points, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when Aston weren't great last year. But they came on song in the second half of the year, and it was Vettel who came on song. Vettel was sublime in the second half of the year, and Stroll was kind of nowhere. By the yeah. standards of the car, I can see you shaking your head. I thought Vettel was phenomenal last year. Sublime. I think that's I, a I, I, I thought Vettel was brilliant at the end of last year. I think, I, I think, though, as good as Vettel was and will always have been, I still think, all things considered, Fernando Alonso was a better driver. And putting yeah. Fernando in that car this year, like Fernando finished, what, nine points off Ocon despite retiring throughout half the damn season through no fault of his own because the car just kept blowing up. So yeah. put Fernando in a car with a Mercedes engine that will never go wrong. He is going to absolutely wipe the floor with Lance. And then Lawrence is in a really difficult position because like you said, it's not just him. He has a team. He has a board. He has investors he has to answer to. And at a certain point, the likes of Aramco and all their other big money investors are going to come to him and say, Lawrence, time's up. Put Lando Norris or someone in the car. We need two drivers. I'd just like to comment on the, the, the sublime thing. To, to, hit, to hit back at that, I think... You're right about Alonso. I think he is one of the best drivers on the grid. I think he's one of the best drivers of all time, like you say. So I'm fully expecting Alonso to to wipe the floor with Stroll. I think everyone is. Mm. But I think to call Vettel to say Vettel had a sublime season, I think you'd have to say he would. He'd have to wipe the floor with Stroll as well because he's a four-time world champion. So he has to wipe the floor with with someone like Lance Stroll, who don't get me wrong, is a solid driver, but he's he's nowhere near the caliber of a world champion. So for Vettel to have a sublime season, he has to, he has to completely destroy him. And and don't get me wrong, he beat him, but I don't think he destroyed him. And I think a four-time champion or someone of Vettel's rating has to be destroying Stroll, like everyone's expecting Alonso to. So unlike Perez did last season. Did you not watch the Japanese Grand Prix? <laughs> oh no, he had some good performance. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying he had a bad season you know like 2020 or anything like that but hmm. i think he was he was solid but well stroll's best performance last year was sixth you know one two three four five six tenth place finishes and one sixth vettel's best of the season was sixth as well but he did it twice and got several eight positions and a ninth and a tenth in there as well so he by the standards of the alf of the aston yes. fighting for that tenth place I think that's way more impressive than what Lance was able to do. And dial that up to a better car this year, especially if it's an elevation, an evolution of last year, and a better driver in Fernando at more of a peak. Obviously, Sebastian is not the driver he was in even his Ferrari days, but Fernando, I think, still is. Sorry, Goose, what were you going to say there? Well, there's a couple of things you need to think about for Vettel. You know, he had COVID, so he missed two races. I think it was two. That's a good point as well. Yeah. So he still first, managed to beat him. The first so, two, and then retired from the third one. Yeah, so he still managed to beat him and beat him relatively comfortably. I don't think there was any argument. Uh, and also, that car was a dog. That thing was mm. horrid at the start of the season. I mean, it was that bad that Craig Scarborough we had on at the start of the season last year, and the question was asked, you know, which of the cars have you seen so far that you're more worried about? And he said, Aston. Mm. You know, it, they got themselves into a cul-de-sac that they, they struggled to engineer themselves out of. Uh, you know, and he still managed to perform as well as he did. So, without, and I think the other thing as well that I think that some people might forget 
But I think up until the point where Vettel had pretty much made his mind up he was retired, and I think he was having a lot of conflict internally. And, you know, you've got to be 100% focused in, in Formula One, as we all know. You can't have those things in your head. You can't have weed demons in your head that are, you know, should you be here, are you here, why are you... Because you're not going to compete at 100%. And then when if he was not sure of himself or not sh- sure that he should do it and continue to do it, that's going to play in his mind. But the minute I think... Maybe not when he publicly announced it, but when it was pretty much in, he said, right, I'm done. This is it. My last year, you know, spoke to the family, the wife, whatever, uh, sheared up in his head and then announced it. There was He was just relaxed. He was just right, yeah, I'm good. And he was able to focus and go out and do what we all knew he could. Well, I think it's going to be interesting when, when we put put it to the team. Who, what do we think it will be the, the the final ranking of the season? Where people obviously we rated Aston as being seventh best driver lineup this year, and if we're being fair, based on everything we've said right now, I think they'd probably be there with or without Lance Stroll, with any without anyone in the second car. And I would put Alonso. I did put Alonso in his own a little bit higher up, but it'll be interesting to see how they. How they perform, how the car performs. Connor, just you were about to say something there. Yeah, I would just like to say in Stroll's defense, and I'm not <laughs> by all means, don't take this as me saying he's the best, one of the best drivers on the grid, because I don't believe he is. But just to bring it back to the last season, the qualifying difference between Vettel and Stroll was 13-7 in Vettel's favor. So obviously, you're right, Vettel had a better season than Stroll, there's no doubt about it. However, in my opinion, if you're a full-time world champion against someone of Stroll's level. You should be out qualifying Stroll more than that, in my opinion, with a with a higher gap. Because Stroll is not the best qualifier either. However, in saying that, is that that Stroll's actually a better performer than we're giving him credit for in terms of maybe Vettel did have a sublime season and Stroll had a good, moderately good season. Or maybe Stroll is underrated and Vettel didn't have such a great season. I think that's a very fair question to ask. I think over one lap, certainly. I mean, like I say, he's got a pole position at a, a deserved one. He was phenomenal in the rain for the, for that pole in Turkey. So I think over one lap, he's certainly got the pace. I think where he really struggles is on tires. I think he's always struggled on his tires in the race. Stroll, this is. He struggles over one lap in the dry, though. I think a lot of a lot of times, especially... I mean, he, he probably improved a little bit, but a lot of times especially when he was teammates with Perez. He was struggling in qualifying compared to Perez. A lot of times he'd be knocked out in Q1 or mm. Q2 and Perez would be in Q3 consistently. So mm. I, th- I think you know, Stroll's a fantastic wet driver and you're right about that. But I don't believe, I mean, it's my opinion, but in, in, in my opinion, he's not a standout qualifier in the dry. I think he's, I think he's probably one of the worst over one lap on the grid. And, and then he, he makes it up over over a race I think well it'll certainly be interesting to see where, where they finish this year again it'll depend on how good the car is and I thought the fact that they brought Dan Fallows out to talk about some of the technical changes was a good mark of confidence from them in their design team in their technical team that they've done something right here or they have plans and they're I mean, they, they, Felipe Djurgovic and Jessica Hawkins said that in the they, they, they said that in the simulator the car felt good but Granted, everybody's going to say that, and neither of them have driven a Formula One car really in a race. So it's probably the best thing they've both ever driven, to be fair. But they they genuinely didn't seem like they were saying that as a scripted response. They both seemed quite impressed by what they'd experienced. So 
I'm I'm hopeful for Aston this year. I want Aston Martin to do well. Genuinely, I really do. I, I, well, I think the brand is obviously one of the best sporting brands in the world. I think their cars are the most beautiful cars in the world. And I genuinely would like to see an Aston Martin winning a race or a world championship, but I just don't think they're going to do it with Stroll in the second car. We leave Aston there. There's a couple of other just small news bits this week. There have been a couple of shakedowns. A couple of teams, Haas, Alfa Romeo, Williams, have all shaken down their new cars. And there were a couple of photographers on the side to kind of spy on them. The pictures, I think, of the Haas look really good. I think that looks a really smart car on track. It more than just in its Twitter pictures. I, I really, really like the look of it. But Coops, was there anything in the, the, the tech breakdowns from that shakedown that, that, that might be worth worth a shout out? The biggest one would be Alfa Romeo not having the cheese grate on the floor, but then we all, we all knew that was going to happen because, you know, people were like, oh, look at that. Because that's not legal. And Connor was the first one to kind of mention to us, like, I'm pretty sure that can be done. Red Bull have had a shakedown, but, you know, they're filming it using a potato. If you've seen any of the clips online, uh, so God knows what they were driving. It's a hard one to look at. It's When you look at it and you see the cars going, you get excited, oh, it's really nice, and you start noticing wee small points and wee bits and pieces. But, you know, they all come back with the same thing. Oh, I feel good to be in the car. Car feels good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can only you can only drive 100 kilometres and you, can, you can't even go up to full power. Um, You're not even allowed to, and it's... On four-wet tyres in the dry. Yep, yeah, you know, exactly. So, you know, you're only driving fast enough to allow the drone to take your corporate pictures. Yeah. So there's very little that can be seen from it, but it's nice to see them all out. One thing I did think, though, when I was noticing that you had Alpine were out doing a shakedown before they've launched the car, which was interesting. Mm, which they, is did, weird. they were doing that today, and they're the last ones to, to, to launch their car officially. Uh, one thing I've always thought would be really good was to have a one or two day event where every car gets launched at the same place. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree Athlete, with that. You know, yeah, either have it at Silverstone, you open it up to the public and you have five teams on the Saturday, five teams on the Sunday, everyone gets an hour or whatever. You can bring, you know, 10 guests and you can have all your people there. They get the stage, here's the car, do the pomp, everyone gets to have a chat about it. Then you have a wee break, the next team on, you know, maybe have Red Bull one day, Mercedes the next to make sure you don't have them all. Nobody turning up for the hash livery and everybody turning up the day before. But <laughs> this this faffing about where you had, I think Haas were the end, was it Haas at the end of January with the livery, you know, putting out the livery on, online and, you know, you've got, you've got Alpine. Late. She- they, put it, they put it up late. The, the 25 minutes after they said they'd put it up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Red Bull were late. Well, that late that Domenicali couldn't actually talk about Ford because Domenicali, formerly the, the CEO of Formula One, was supposed to be at the launch to talk about Ford would rejoin. And mm. because they ran late, he had to leave, you know, because he's a very busy man. You know, I'd, I think that'd be great. You know, have it just have them out. They can have their own wee small thing, but, you know, have a weekend. A Saturday, Sunday, five and one day, five the other. Everyone's there. It could be an event a day. They can have the shakedown over the course of two or three days or whatever. Or even have the Friday, Saturday launches, Sunday shakedown day. And you can have a few fans watching. They, clearly, they don't want that because they don't want people with good cameras because we need them. The cameras we buy in our phones are good mm. enough to get to see some things. But, you know, I think Formula One are missing a trick. Would they ever get all teams to agree to it? Probably not. Nope, there's no way Mercedes and Rebel would agree to that. <laughs> but Mr. Ben Suleim, if you're listening, I know you've taken a step back. If you've taken a step back to plan something like this, we're all on board. Do it. Just do mm-hmm. it. 
<laughs> I think it would be great. But anyway, you know, we can we yep. can all but dream. We can indeed. And I think we will finish up there. There's not too much, and we've managed to squeeze a good bit of news and talking points out of relatively little news from this week. So thanks for that, lads. Launch date still to come is Ferrari tomorrow, giving us all a lovely red, assumably, Valentine's Day present. Although, given the way all the rest of the cars are going, for all we know, it's going to be black. Although, how beautiful would that be? A black Ferrari with just like little yellow accents. Mercedes are the following day, Wednesday the 15th, and then Alpine finishes it off on the 16th because they wanted to do it last for for some reason testing is next week thursday to friday the 23rd to the 25th of february and the first race is literally only around the corner it's on sunday the 5th of march in obviously bahrain limited testing this year only with a single session but obviously everything is in evolution over last year so they don't have to test engines or new designs or porpoising theoretically so we'll only get the one test but it is just around the corner and we are very very much looking forward to that you can keep track on all the latest news and reviews of all the new liveries as they come out and all the tech analysis that we can get our hands on on our website www.everythingf1.com all the stuff for me to say is thank you to the, my my team for joining me this evening thanks very much coops no bother. thank you thank you very much connor it's been a pleasure and i'm hoping for a red ferrari because a black ferrari would just <laughs> no it has to <laughs> <laughs> well I, th I think that's fair to say that's the jinx we needed. So Black Ferrari is coming. You heard it here first. I think I, hundred, uh, I think I'm pretty sure it'll be a black Mercedes. I think they're going to go back to black. They've been hinting a well, lot online about black recently. Fred Vasser did say it would have red in it. <laughs> well, but the logo is red and yellow so you know it'll have at least a little bit of red the halo will be red that is it from us thank you very, very much for listening don't forget to check us out on all socials at join ef1 on facebook instagram twitter and tiktok and do check out our website for more news and updates about these new car launches thanks very much for listening again we will see you in the next episode bye 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 This is Mario Andretti, Mark Blundell, Mark Priestley, Claire Cottingham, Ben Edwards, Jamie Chadwick, Mark Gallagher, Freddie Hunt, Bobby Eaton, Craig Scarborough, Alex Brundle. And you're listening to, and you're listening to, you're listening to everything F1, everything F1, everything F1, everything F1 podcast, driven, 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 driven by fans, for fans. Welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. My name is Sean and joining me today is Coops. Hi, Coops. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. And returning from last week is Connor. Hi, Connor. Great to have you back on. Thank you. Yeah, good to be back. Now, we have had a very busy weekend with lots of car launches, which we will, of course, get into. But before we do that, we are, of course, Everything F1. You can find us on all socials at Join EF1 on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. And of course, we post daily news and articles on our website, www.everythingf1.com. Now then, let's get straight into it because it's been a busy enough weekend, lads, hasn't it? We've had three new car launches, all with 
new looking designs, two pretty okay events and one totally pathetic video that just just happened and then ended. And I think we'll start with that one because it was the worst with AlphaTauri. So they didn't really reveal all that much other than a pretty striking new livery, at least I thought so, but it has seemingly divided opinion quite drastically across the internet. I love it, but my girlfriend hates it. I didn't like last year's one at all. I th thought it was extremely boring. And a boring looking car is a slow car, which is exactly what happened. But I think we'll start there. What did you make of the new livery? Connor, we'll come to you first. Livery. I, I, I quite liked it. I, I'm like, I'm on with you. I'm on the side with you with that one mm. because it was much nicer than last year, in my opinion. You're right in the statement that a, a slow, boring car is a slow car. I can't think of any, I can't think of any examples where that's not true. So, yeah, no, I like the livery. There's some interesting things going on there as well behind the uh, behind the livery. So yeah, it's it's not bad. Mm. Coops, what about yourself? What did you think of all the shall we say random flecks of red? Yeah, I was a bit from the side view that you saw in the video. It was very slapdash. It's as if they'd made the car livery and then then signed the sponsor and thought, hey, "Where can we put it?" From the front, it looks nice, and you know and. I think it's a theme with all these car launches this year. When you see it on its own, you think it's not very different. And then you see it against last year and you're like, oh, okay, so that's a wee bit different. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I was a bit underwhelmed. I don't know if it was the video. They went from two extremes. You went from Red Bull's main launch that lasted 50 minutes to show last year's delivery and last year's car. And this year it was like, a, what is that, a couple of minute video, them standing with the Alpha Tower, the line, the car. A bunch of mannequins. Yeah, and then it ended, and it was like, oh, okay. Alpha Tauri, I've got a lot to prove this season. The car needs to do a lot better than it was. It wasn't a very good car at all last year, so let's hope that, as you say, it looks better, it drives better. Hopefully, they can't really go any further down. They finished ninth last season, so hopefully the, the old adage of opposite what we said, you know, a quick, a good-looking car is a quick car. I, I think it looks quite good, but if half the internet's to be believed, they're going to finish last this year. So it, it, it's, it's, I think it's a bit odd how, how drastically it's divided opinion. I think it's quite a good looking guard. I think it's quite striking. I actually like the flecks of red. I think they just stand out nicely. Obviously, this is all just on the designs. We still don't know yet what it'll look like in real life. And I think the lovely metallic looking Navy won't look anywhere near that good on track. But you mentioned there, Coops, obviously it's a, it's a big, big season for Alpha Tauri. And I want to touch quickly on Yuki Tsunoda, who is their senior driver now, even though he's still shorter than the other guy. Franz Sauce has come out and say that, yes, Yuki is a quick and talented driver, but he, he needs to, to take that next step. Do you think he can do it? Oh... I don't know, and that's the worry. You know, he came in with a bit of a fanfare a couple of seasons ago, and we all loved him, and we're all like, you'll be brilliant. And then the kind of wheels fell off the wagon very quickly, and he started becoming a pretty reckless rookie that season. Mm. Last year, he was very anonymous, but then that's not his fault. The car just didn't allow him to do anything. So there is a wee bit of added pressure. You know, yeah, it's fair that Franz Toss needs to do that. He's he's now the senior member of the team with Nick DeFries coming in as the rookie. But yeah, you know, AlphaTauri still need to provide him with something that he can actually do something with. Mm. But, you know, three years, yeah, this will be his third season in Formula One. He needs to show there's a reason. As we've discussed in previous podcasts, I think we mentioned the last time we were on together that there is a lot of people waiting the wings. Yeah. You know, to come in. So he needs to show something. 
And his teammate, obviously, rookie, but not technically a rookie because he has raced in Formula 1, but it's his first full season, Nick DeBreeze. He's late to the game. He's, what, 28 now, I believe? Or mm-hmm. he will be by the time he, he races in Bahrain. Connor, we've touched on it a little bit, but is there maybe too much hype around him? Do you think he'll succumb to the pressure or is he going to come in and impress like he did in Monza and kind of cost Yuki his Formula 1 drive if he outdrives him? I think he's very underrated. I've never understood the criticism that he's faced. If you look, I mean, you know, drivers develop at different rates. So junior careers isn't always a basis to go off, but you can certainly look at it and he was successful. Definitely warranted of an F1 drive, certainly, because if you look at his performances right through, obviously, in Formula 2 in 2018, he was right up there. He won a few feature races and that was against a field of, the lights with the field of lights of George Russell, Lando Norris, Alex Albon, you know, that was a very, very strong grid. And he was able to have some very, very good results. He actually dominated the, the Sparfield race from what I can remember from that year. So now I've never understood the criticism. And then he comes in last season, you know, he's obviously done some FP1s for Mercedes and Aston Martin and Williams, but then he comes in and, and performs like that certainly deserving of an F1 driver. And mm. I can't see anyone else apart from uh, Herta, Colton Herter, who would have been a better option for Alpha Tauri. And then again, I, I think I would probably at this point take De Vries over Herter purely based off F1 experience. I think he's a fantastic driver. I'm not saying he's going to be a world beater, but 100% a solid midfield driver there. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, like you said, his record kind of speaks for itself. He would kind of shuffled around the, the, the series a lot. Obviously, he was dumped out by McLaren early on. They, they like, Ron Dennis tipped him as the next big thing. They, they loved him, and they pretty they, they, they got rid of him pretty early on in his career. But he's gone on to win everything. He's won Formula E. He won, for, he won F2, obviously. But you mentioned that kind of the other, only other option for them this year was Colton Herta. And even at that, that was a long shot at best. Has the identity of that team kind of, gone i mean the alpha tari and tara rosso has always been kind of the testing bed for the red bull juniors like every single successful red bull driver has come through that rank but now they've got someone who's come from mercedes he was never in the red bull program and let's be honest yuki was a, a honda graduate he, he was put in there by honda and he's just kind of still there it doesn't really look like the, the team of old anymore does it i mean i'm looking through their their kind of their list of of junior drivers now on their official website and they've got liam lawson I think he's a good driver. And beyond that, I don't really see any of the rest of them as being F1 quality. Jack Crawford, Enzo Fittipaldi, Hajar, Hauger, and Iwasa, all good F2 drivers, but I don't think any of them are Formula 1 drivers. Have Red Bull just kind of neglected their 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 junior series, their their, their junior drivers, Coops, do you think? I think when you start sacking them pretty quickly into a season, you don't... Yes. <laughs> you eventually are going to start <laughs> running out, you know? There's, there's, a, there's a pretty impressive graveyard of Formula One driver careers or ex Formula One drivers careers, you know. And it started way at the beginning, you know. I was looking up some stuff for an article I'm writing for the website and you know, it was about Red Bull, Jaguar, Stuart. And you know, the when they came in in two thousand and five, they had David Coulter as their main driver. And then they were splitting it between Leutze and the name the other person escaped. Okay, yeah. So, you know, Leutze only ended up taking four uh, drives that year. But they came in with the idea, and I'd never seen that before in my time. I think it was more popular way back in the day, where the drivers would swap a lot. Usually it was two drivers, went for the season. If it were really bad, they didn't come back. Whereas Red Bull were like, oh, no, 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 you're not doing that. (laughs) You know, we're going to 
swap things about. But yeah, you, you will always get to that point. There's that saturation point. You fling people in, you move people around. Albon got moved up from uh, Toro Rosso at the time to Red Bull too soon. Gasly was the same. You know, you push people too much or the wrong way and you don't treat them right, you're going to ruin their career because mm. it's just not going to work. So it's a legacy or a, a, a result of the way that they've treated their drivers. And, you know, for the next couple of seasons, if Nick DeFries does well and is confident enough, and if he manages to beat Sonoda or even keeps within, you know, a couple of points of him over the course of the season, they'll keep him for a few years, let everybody else develop, maybe look around and see what young ones are there, and then maybe, you know, maybe for 2026 they might bring in some other young ones. But Well, uh, talking of 2026, we kind of touched on this last week with kind of Honda being up in the air for, for, for 2026 and beyond. With... Dietrich Mateschitz passing away last year. Red Bull's kind of commitment to the sport has been in question because obviously he was the driving force behind that. There are some members of the board that are very, do we really need this anymore kind of thing. So a lot of questions have been thrown up of do they, but whatever about the first team, which are winning everything at the moment, do they need the second team? I just wanted to just kind of touch on this again. Does this maybe open up an option for Honda to take over a team again? If Red Bull are, are, are leaving off to Ford, there, there, there might be this option. Red Bull might not want the second team anymore. Their board might not want the second team anymore. Do you think that might? And it, that, that they might just like let the second team go? I think they're not actively pursuing a sale of Alpha Tauri, but if something was to come up that was like too good to choose or too good to ignore, then they would let it go. But mm-hmm. it's not a case of we want Red as you've just touched on with Dietrich Matisic passing away, God knows what happens. You know, Red Bull Racing was his. It wasn't, mm. you know, he co-founded Red Bull, but founded Red Bull Racing. So it was, it, was, baby, yeah. it was his thing. And I think the Red Bull main team is not going away anytime soon. It funds mm. itself, especially with the cost cap, even beforehand, you know, sponsorships. And even when they weren't winning, it won. It was more or less funding itself. And it's a brand it's their way, way for staffing, so that's not going anywhere. But you're right, I mean, Alpha Tauri could be sold. As I say, they're not looking to get rid, but you know, if Honda comes in and says, we'll take it over, we don't want anything, we'll do it, you know, whatever kind of deal they come up with and it works for both parties, then mm. yeah. Yeah, I can't say, see Red Bull being too like loyal to us in, in a situation like that. No, and I mean, it might even be an option for Porsche. If Porsche, That'd be interesting as well, you know, yeah. if Porsche really want to come back in, it's already an established team. Take it in, mm. take all the people that are there with it. You can fire in a few folk. The infrastructure's there, you know, and just rebadge it and you do what you want with it. You know, mm. you know, maybe Red Bull could do what Salber did and put in some guarantees that, you know, if you're taking it over, you need to have it for so many years or whatever. Because, mm. you know, who's the main man at Salber is very particular about if he sells it. I'll sell it to you, but you need to guarantee me you ain't going to have it for two years and get rid of it. You know, you mm-hmm. have to do certain things. So that that you know maybe. Yeah, Porsche could be a shout as well. I was reading was it last week that they they are still very interested in Formula One, especially for twenty twenty six because they're desperate to pursue the technologies that will mean they don't have to make the nine eleven an electric car. And I can't think of anything worse in the entire world than an electric 911. It's my favorite car in the world. And the idea of that being electrified makes me vomit. So they are very, very seriously with obviously the, the renewable fuels that Formula One is going towards. 
that obviously makes internal combustion still very viable for a big sports car company like Porsche. So I, th- I don't think they're out of the running yet. But let's move it on then to today. Obviously, we had two actual car launches, not insanely long 50-minute showpieces or rubbish videos or pictures on the internet on Twitter for five seconds. We did actually have the launch of the McLaren MCL60, which I think is a nice name, a throwback to their 60th year in Formula One or 60th year of existence, really. And Aston Martin launched the AMR23. Both had new drivers to announce, Oscar Piastri for McLaren and Fernando Alonso for Aston. And obviously, we are not so secret McLaren fans on this on this podcast. So I think we will start there. They had the first car launch today. And I like the look of it, but if I'm taking my McLaren hat off, they've sort of gone the Red Bull lazy way. It looks almost identical to the delivery they had at the end of last season. So, Connor, we'll start here. What did you think of the design? I, I, I quite like it. I like the orange. I like it's quite it's a bit of a futuristic kind of look to it. No, I think it's a it's a solid delivery. I thought it was a really good launch as well. It was solid. It had a good you know a little promotion behind it they're celebrating the 60 year 60th anniversary which i think that's great to celebrate the history and and obviously a team like mclaren is such a rich past in formula one as well so it's important to to show the new fans what the team's all about so no it was a really good launch probably in my opinion the best the best launch actually along with aston martin as well because you had you know, quotes from the the drivers and the and the team principal and obviously Zach Brown. And with the Aston launch, you had Dan Fallows come up and talk about the car as well, which mm. I always like when the technical director comes and, and talks about the car. Um, and so, yeah, both launches today were really good. And, and sorry to diverge, but the, I think both the McLaren and especially the Aston Martin liveries were really, really smart, especially the Aston livery was perfect in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, we'll come on to that in a minute. Let's get your thoughts on on the McLaren more from a technical side. We they, they, they've they put up some some technical look throughs of it. F1 themselves have done kind of a, a technical analysis of it, at least what they could see. Obviously, the side pods I think are the most dramatically noticeable aspect on this car. It does look more like a real car that that might run in testing next week. Obviously, with a few tweaks, but it definitely isn't just a random show car that they just smacked some stickers on or last year's car that they stuck some stickers on. But they are already looking to make changes essentially today. Tell, talk to us a little bit about that because I, I believe you've done a little bit more research into this than, than we had. Yeah, well, from what, I've, from what I've read, they haven't went into the specifics of it, but basically what they're saying is they're not 100% happy with basically what they've got with the MCL60. So they're looking to get that sorted with upgrades probably around about Azerbaijan, mm. which doesn't bode well if you're a McLaren fan and they come out and say, here's a new car, but it's not that good. It's <laughs> effectively what they're saying. Like, it looks good, yet why change the livery? It, they've kind of settled on something they quite like the look of, so why not? Why change it? You mm. know, you know the side pods are very distinctive, they're very aggressive looking. I think it was yourself that mentioned that actually in our chat beforehand. It's a lot tighter looking. There's a bigger wash down the back of it. You know they've managed to sort out by the by what I've, what I'm hearing here. They've, they've they've dealt with the cooling issues which were hampering and handicapped the car at the start of the season last year. Which could be which could be critical because they were good in Spain last year in testing. Yes, they kind of shocked us all and we were all extremely positive about McLaren. And obviously then it just as soon as they got to any sort of heat, the brakes exploded. 
so it's good to hear that, that they're going into this season at least preliminarily aware, that, unaware of any sorts of issues like that. Well, yeah, they've managed to deal with that, and you would think that somebody like that, a team like McLaren would be able to sort that out. Uh, they knew what the issue was. It was they, they they made a miscalculation with the amount of cooling that was needed in the brakes. So mm. to counteract that, they had to raise the ride height. And of course, with these degraded effect cars, the higher away from the ground you are, the less downforce you're going to get. You know, it's a snowball effect. Couldn't do anything about it for a good few races. They've managed to fix it. Came up with they became a bit more competitive as the season went on. So you know they're 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 going. They're definitely taking. So basically, the way I've looked at it for this year, actually, to kind of go as a bit of a general viewpoint in the way I'm looking at it, you've got two cars that were competitive. You had Ferrari's theory and you had Red Bull. Some teams are going to take Ferrari's theory. Some are taking Red Bull. McLaren have wiped down Red Bull's mm. weight. They're, they're slight, it's very, very similar. They've copied the homework, but they've changed the handwriting, basically, <laughs> is how I look at it. <laughs> Uh, so there's the, the, it looks very like a Red Bull in the concept, especially the rear of the, the, the side pods, but there's some slight differences. So, you know, I try not to read too much into it. It's nice that we've got a car because we ain't going to see it until next next weekend or the weekend after, I think it is, when we get the testing and we actually see what rolls out there. They, they are, they're being pessimists themselves because I think the thing is that makes me optimistic with this car and with this year is, They've made the car, but they know what they need to fix. Mm-hmm. So they know, right, this isn't exactly where we want it. So they'll, they'll obviously deal with their upgrade plan to sort that. Biggest problem is if you're using your upgrades to sort a problem, you ain't developing to be faster, mm-hmm. which, as we all saw with Mercedes last year. So we'll wait and see. Well, at the, at the very least, like we said, they are aware of the problem, potential problems this time. Obviously, they still... They, for all we know, they might get to testing in Bahrain and discover, actually, that's not as big a problem as we thought it was. Or, obviously, yeah. it might be much worse than they think it is. And the brakes might explode again. But obviously, they have a new driver lineup as well. They have Lando Norris, who, believe it or not, is into his fifth year in Formula 1, despite only still being about 14 years old. <laughs> and Oscar Piastri has finally got his Formula 1 drive. Connor, how do you rate the, the driver lineup this year? What do you expect out of the, out of the two lads? I think Norris speaks for himself. I think he's probably... You know, he's an elite driver. He's probably within the t- top three performers last season, in my opinion, mm. with a car that had very difficult handling traits. We saw that, you know, the balance would change throughout the corner, depending on what corner and what conditions the track was at. The 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 balance of the car would change. And Norris showed how good he was at, at, at driving around those issues. Whereas, obviously, Ricardo struggled a lot more. That was those very peculiar handling characteristics of the McLaren last season. And this season, obviously, they're gonna obviously they're gonna try and attempt to iron out those issues. And I think that you know, if Norris is able to drive, is it is able to drive subconsciously, he'll be able to take that car to another level. Because obviously last season he said he was having to consciously drive it, which is never which is never a good thing because mm-hmm. any sport can operates at his best when he's when he's operating subconsciously. But Oscar Piastri, I mean, obviously. He's got a fantastic junior pedigree, but we don't know exactly. We don't know until he until he gets to Formula One. You know, some drivers have fantastic junior careers, and then they get to Formula One, and 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 unfortunately, they they fail. You know, I'm, I'm you know thinking of examples like Van Dorn, and if you go way back, looking at like Jan Magnussen as well, who everyone was tipping. You know, these are going to be fantastic, great drivers, future world champions, and then 
it never happened. So it all depends. And, and obviously he's got to, he's got to go up against a driver like Norris. And that's no easy feat because we're talking about one of the elite drivers in the sport. But a lot of it's going to come down to, you know, whether McLaren could be able to fix the balance issues. Obviously, we've got the new Pirelli tyres this year as well, which should mitigate some of the understeer characteristics, which, you know, Norris doesn't like. Norris doesn't like a car that that is is lazy on on it. Um, entry to the turning like a car that you can really you know have a, have a responsive turning so we'll see but no the two drivers it's it's the youngest lineup and probably the most exciting lineup because you've got as I say Norris who's an elite driver and Piastri an unknown prospect but you know looking at his junior career and watching him throughout his junior career you'd say you know this is a, a potential future elite driver as well. Well, in our official ranking, well, the Everything F1 official ranking, which is up on our website right now, we ranked them fourth. We, we, we polled the whole team. We applied, everyone put their rankings first to 10th, and we applied the F1 scoring system to it, and it came out McLaren in fourth, about 50 points behind Ferrari, which I thought was interesting. I thought the two of them were quite low, but I personally ranked them as second. I ranked Ferrari first. I ranked McLaren second because I, I, I think the same. I think Lando Norris is one of the top three drivers on the grid. I think if you put all of them in the same car, he'd be up there fighting with Max and Fernando Alonso. No questions asked. I think last year really, really showed that he does have that Lewis Hamilton spark in him. Like he said, he could just overdrive the car even as it twitches through corners. Uh, so I think he, I think you're right. He's, 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 he really put himself on the map last year. Not that he hadn't already, but he really kind of took it to a next level. Piastri, I think, obviously you, you mentioned there's junior formula, he, but he comes in with so much pressure on his shoulders he, ha- he is the only, only the third driver to win F2 and F3 in his rookie season, which only Charles Leclerc and George Russell did. So already he is in a pantheon of greats with those two. But those two had the benefit of coming into, let's be honest, crap cars when they started in Formula 1. I don't think that's going to be the case with McLaren this year, because no matter how many slight issues they, they are going to expect to be challenging for the upper points and podiums throughout the seasons. There's a fair bit more pressure on Piastri than the other two, on top of all the other pressure that he has. I think there's pressure on Piastri just by the fiasco of unsigning from McLaren, let alone anything else. That too. (laughs) You know, he... uh, I mean, it wasn't his fault. I mean, that's clear that was Alpine, and I think Alpine eventually sacked their lawyer or whoever dealt with contracts. You know, it was a bit of a mess. You know, but... You know, he said he stole it pretty early on. He's like, no, I'm not going to help you. I'm going where I want to go. And mm. you're hearing all the right things. Yeah, I was reading something. I can't remember who said this, but somebody within McLaren was saying that, you know, Piastri is extremely demanded, you know, which is good. You know, he's a young man. He's what well, he doesn't care. He's a rookie. You know, he's this is his career. This is he wants things to be done the right way. So he's come in. He doesn't like it. He ain't going to shy away. He's going to say what he needs to say. You know, so he needs to then balance that with how do you go out there and perform mm. you know we're not expecting him to beat Norris because as you say I think we've all I was slightly less optimistic on Norris shall we say in the first maybe the first year he was in Formula 1 I thought he was good but I'm like I, there's something but then I think the following year I was just like well wait a minute Hold on here, you know, actually, because there wasn't a lot of conversation around him being on that tier, and then he just slowly brought himself up. And if I'm right, is he the only one, only driver in 22 to get a podium outside the top three? There's a reason for that. That McLaren car isn't that wasn't that good last year. <laughs> so yeah, he knows where to put it. And yes, we all know Ricardo had some issues with the car and he wasn't good with it, but you know, 
it's Daniel Ricciardo and Norris just wiped the floor with them, regardless mm. of that single victory, which Norris would have won if there wasn't the situation, you know, team models, I should say. One other thing that they mentioned in the launch, which I thought it was very interesting that Zach Brown felt it important to, to, to take it on himself to say, was that this is still a little bit of a transitional year, but a lot of exciting things are going to happen this year, quite aside from it being their 60th year. Namely, was that their wind tunnel in their in-house wind tunnel will come online about midway through this season. Is that going to affect this year's car? Probably not, especially because it's not online yet. And they have the cars going out on track next week, but it should start to play a role in the second half of the season as they develop throughout the latter half of the season, start to prep for next year. So, exp- they reckon they could expect to see some pretty major upgrades in the latter half of the season. A bit like they did a few years ago. Do you remember when they were prepping for the Mercedes changeover and they used their tokens to change suspension elements and wing elements and stuff like that so they didn't have to do it the following year? I've been reading some articles that that's pretty much their plan for their in-house wind tunnel this year is to develop new stuff for this car that will immediately lead on to the next car and give them essentially a springboard closer to the front for next year. Do you think that will work out as people are maybe hoping it will or is it going to be a little bit longer before we see the, the benefits of that wind tunnel? Anything, if you have your own in-house wind tunnel and it's top top of the line, any kind of team is going to going to have a jump, you know, because I think their previous wind tunnel wasn't, or what they were using, it wasn't their own Toyota's one. Toyota's one in Germany. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, it wasn't, it's not ideal, it's not next to the, you know, it's not nearby, I'm sure, even the chain of command to get things changed over and look at things and tweak things, probably a bit longer and a bit not efficient but yeah having your own wind tunnel and being able to use that because this is a new real real cycle everything is going to be an evolution of the previous Mm -hmm. year so you're using your time to to do something for next year once you get the tweaks of this design kind of worked out which mclaren have admitted they're going to have to do you know next year yeah things are going to be better and you will expect you should like art it's the same for Aston Martin. They're building new factories. They're doing all that stuff. They're investing a lot of money. Once their stuff becomes online, you'd expect a jump. You'll see them, you would like to think, closer to the front. So, yeah, it will be good to see over the, the latter part of the season, you know, as long as other factors like, you know, Norris has a good season, Piastri can get in there and, you know, be at the races, excuse the pun, very... You know, they're straight away, not Ricardo stuttering or mm. Ricardo esque situation where he's stuttering and down the back of the grid after like seven or eight races. So there is some exciting times for McLaren if they can get it right. Well, I certainly hope so because I've just spent a small fortune on a McLaren jersey and I'd like to be able to wear it with a bit of pride this year. Let's move on to Aston. As you mentioned there, Connor, you already touched on this a little bit that you like that new design. I'm not a big fan of it, but I will admit I was thrown off by the fact that the announcer in the stream said it's got a striking new color and they took the Union Jack off and it was the same color. It definitely didn't look that way in whatever way they lit their studio. But I will admit I've since seen the renders of it on social media and it does look a hell of a lot nicer it's much more metallic so what were your initial thoughts of the Aston obviously the the, the presentation was really good I thought it was definitely the, the the best car launch we've had this year so far but what what were your initial thoughts on the car I'll, I'll, I'll be honest I'm not too interested in the deliveries that's just a color to me but it's more obviously what's going on 
bodywork wise and obviously we talk we could talk about side pods and things and obviously the teams are trying to the air down washing over the side pods yeah, accelerated to well the the rear brake winglets are and things like that and that's an important so that's where a lot of teams are going this year with the the evolution of the cars but it, it we could talk about side pods all we want but a lot of it's what's going mm. on underneath the car floor it's so important and whatever you're seeing on the cars on the on the the upper body is is an is in effect to work the underfloor harder and better that's mainly what we're seeing obviously you know teams are going to have different ideas and things how to go about it but they're naturally converging we've seen that with Aston Martin as well this time around so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they do because obviously again they're in a transitional period you know between you know being a midfield team and trying to get to the front just like McLaren are at the minute obviously the, the bit Coops mentioned the new factory being built as well so it, again you know, Lawrence Stroll admitted that he's not the most patient of people, but he's going to have to be patient because Formula One is such a, a huge investment. It takes time to build up to being a top team. And obviously they've gone on a, ma- a major hire in the spree with, you know, Dan Fallows, Eric Blandin coming in, to name a few. So, yeah, I like the launch. I like the way the team's going. And as I say, the teams, every team is going to naturally converge now in the second year of the regulations on a design you know apart from the odd out um, yeah. I, feel, I feel like they're just going to stick for that like out of stubbornness even if it doesn't work <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it'll be stubbornness i think they, they there's genuinely something in that concept can they make it work though that's it's it's not not so much about the side pods you know the side pods is the main point of differentiation last year but it's all about mm. what's going on under the car. That's the that's the key. Is how you work the underfloor. So, you know, that's that's stuff we can't see, unfortunately. So, as much as we could, we could talk about the technical side. Obviously, the underfloor is the most important part, and I think that's going to be that's going to be where, you know, obviously that's where the key performance is found. But yeah, Mercedes might look a little bit different to everyone else. I think they're going to mm. stick it out with that concept because there's definitely. It's more. It's not so much the side pod concept that was the problem. I think it was more related to the rear suspension stiffness and, and how that affected, you know, obviously the airflow underneath the underfloor and obviously affected circuits, etc. So you mentioned there, obviously Lawrence Stroll. He he said, I think it probably spoke quite well. And I have a lot of time for Lawrence Stroll because he has very much come come about as I'm not just Lance's rich daddy. I have a big investment in this sport now he's obviously a huge fan of the sport historically he's put a lot of his own money really importantly beyond just paying for lance's seat he has now put an enormous amount of his own money into buying into aston martin and getting them into formula one so this isn't just a pet project or you know an extended christmas present for his son anymore this is his own almost livelihood that he's kind of hedging his bets against so based on that then is he being a little bit stupid to consider maybe that's a bit harsh but to, to just stick with lance because obviously he's gone and got who i consider to be the best formula one driver of all time and fernando alonso and i still think he's the best driver on that grid all things considered put them all in the same car he'll be world champion it, they've gone through all that effort they've clearly shown him something that he likes they're putting in all this money into the factory the wind tunnel all of this future planning and yet their second driver is the boss's son who seems to be completely safe in that car, even if he smashes it every single week. 
are they eventually going to have to move on from Lance or start giving him performance targets, Coop? If you're serious about being in Formula One, yes. There, there comes a point where it's not family business. Mm. I mean, I've just I've just had a quick Google there when you were you were doing your thing, and he, Lawrence Stroll invested 182 million UK pounds to acquire a stake in Aston Martin, along with around 200 million pound in a new HQ, not including how much he paid to buy. Force mm. India to turn it to racing point to then become Aston Man. So you're talking. Which was only a pound. <laughs> yeah, but then he acquired the debt and he paid the debt oh, yeah. off. So you know he had to, he had a lot of he had a lot of debt to pay as well. You know, I know so that's the best. That's the best part of half a billion before they've even actually turned the wheel in anger. Yep, yep. Best part of that, and then whatever else he's invested in the money he's paying Alonso because it's not going to be cheap um, Ooh, for something like Alonso and even Vettel. So you know that. You know, Lawrence, although he's the face, it was a consortium that he's the main one of. So there's other people mm. that maybe are back that maybe never invested as much, or but they're still there. And you will have to get to a point. If he's crashing the car and doing a Mick Schumacher did last season every year, and, you know, he, he almost killed his teammate Vettel. He almost attempted to kill Alonso, you know, in, a, in a, yeah. a, a, the America. In uh, Texas. In, in Texas, yeah. So... There will be a point, but there needs to be a serious conversation. Like, you know, I did find, I did raise an eyebrow when Alonso came out and said that Stroll is potential to be a world champion. I'm not sure yeah, if he meant a world well. champion in Formula One. He's a solid enough driver. He does deserve to be in Formula One. However, is he championship winning material? No. Two thirds of that grid out either. So, and we've said that a lot on the show that I think we're all kind of in agreement that especially by the caliber of pay drivers we've had in Formula One recently, obviously Mazepin and Latifi coming to mind immediately. I think Lance Stroll has done more than enough to earn a space on the grid aside from the money. Obviously, he's been on pole and he's been on podiums a lot, mm-hmm. especially in his Williams days, which I thought was even more impressive. The, the racing point of the Force India was always a decent car. Yeah, and he could have won a race if the team he had have, made, yeah. a, made, made a mistake. It was Turkey, I think. I might Turkey, be wrong. Yeah, where he was on pole. Yep. It was, a Monza, was it not Monza where he made? It was Monza as well when when, Gaz, when Gasly won. Was he was he not on the restart? Was he not on pole for the restart? Or was he second? I'm pretty sure he was on pole and then he went deep. Was that, deep. Was, that was Perez. That was the, the Perez first one. He, was, he came third. And he was in front of Perez and he went deep, which allowed Perez to go through and he ended up third. Mm. So he could have won that race as well if he didn't make a mistake. So he has the talent. All good examples of him having the talent. But I I always say, I think Sergio Perez is a world-class midfield driver. Yeah. (laughs) I think Lance Stroll is getting there. I think he's not quite world-class midfield driver. I think he's a very good midfield driver. But Sebastian Vettel, in his last year of Formula 1, beaten by 13 points, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when Aston weren't great last year, but they came on song in the second half of the year and it was Vettel who came on song. Vettel was sublime in the second half of the year and Stroll was kind of nowhere. By the yeah. standards of the car, I can see you shaking your head. I thought Vettel was phenomenal last year. Sublime. I think that's I, a I, I, I thought Vettel was brilliant at the end of last year. I think, I, I think though, as good as Vettel was and will always have been, I still think, all things considered, Fernando Alonso is a better driver. And putting yeah. Fernando in that car this year, like Fernando finished, what, nine points off Ocon despite retiring throughout half the damn season mm-hmm. through no fault of his own because the car just kept blowing up. 
So yeah. put Fernando in a car with a Mercedes engine that will never go wrong. He is going to absolutely wipe the floor with Lance. And then Lawrence is in a really difficult position because like you said, it's not just him. He has a team. He has a board. He has investors he has to answer to. And at a certain point, the likes of Aramco and all their other big money investors are going to come to him and say, Lawrence, time's up. Put Lando Norris or someone in the car. We need two drivers. I'd just like to comment on the the, the sublime thing. To, to, hit, to hit back at that, I think... You're right about Alonso. I think he is one of the best drivers on the grid. I think he's one of the best drivers of all time, like you say. So I'm fully expecting Alonso to to wipe the floor with Stroll. I think everyone is. Mm. But I think to call Vettel to say Vettel had a sublime season, I think you'd have to say he would. He'd have to wipe the floor with Stroll as well because he's a four-time world champion. So he has to wipe the floor with with someone like Lance Stroll, who don't get me wrong, is a solid driver, but he's he's nowhere near the caliber of a world champion. So for Vettel to have a sublime season, he has to he has to completely destroy him. And and don't get me wrong, he beat him, but I don't think he destroyed him. And I think a four-time champion or someone of Vettel's rating has to be destroying Stroll, like everyone's expecting Alonso to. So and like Perez did last season. Did you not watch the Japanese Grand Prix? <laughs> oh no, he had some good performance. <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying he had a bad season you know like 2020 or anything like that but hmm. i think he was he was solid but well Str- stroll's best performance last year was sixth you know one two three four five six tenth place finishes and one sixth vettel's best of the season was sixth as well but he did it twice and got several eighth positions and a ninth and a tenth in there as well so he by the standards of the alf of the aston yes. fighting for that tenth place I think that's way more impressive than what Lance was able to do. And dial that up to a better car this year, especially if it's an elevation, an evolution of last year, and a better driver in Fernando at more of a peak. Obviously, Sebastian is not the driver he was in even his Ferrari days, but Fernando, I think, still is. Sorry, Gibbs, what were you going to say there? Well, there's a couple of things you need to think about for Vettel. You know, he had COVID, so he missed two races. I think it was two. That's a good point as well, yeah. So they still managed to beat him. The first two and then retired from the third one. Yeah, so he still managed to beat him and beat him relatively comfortably. I don't think there was any argument. Uh, and also, that car was a dog. That thing was mm. horrid at the start of the season. I mean, it was that bad that Craig Scarborough we had on at the start of the season last year. And the question was asked, you know, which of the cars have you seen so far that you're more worried about? And he said, Aston. Mm. You know, it, they got themselves into a cul-de-sac that they, they struggled to engineer themselves out of. Uh, you know, and he still managed to perform as well as he did. So without and I think the other thing as well that I think some people might forget, but I think up until the point where Vettel had pretty much made his mind up he was retired and I think he was having a lot of conflict internally. And you know, you've got to be a hundred percent focused in in Formula One as we all know. You can't have those things in your head. You can't have weed demons in your head that are, you know, should you be here, are you here, why are you because you're not going to compete at a hundred percent. And then when if he was not sure of himself or not sh- sure that he should do it and continue to do it, that's going to play in his mind. But the minute I think, maybe not when he publicly announced it, but when it was pretty much in, he said, right, I'm done. This is it. My last year, you know, spoke to the family, the wife, whatever, uh, shored up in his head and then announced it. There was He was just relaxed. He was just right, yeah, I'm good. And he was able to focus and go out and do what we all knew he could 
Well, I think it's going to be interesting when, when we put put it to the team. Who, what do we think it will be the, the the final ranking of the season? Where people obviously we rated Aston as being seventh best driver lineup this year, and if we're being fair, based on everything we've said right now, I think they'd probably be there with or without Lance Stroll with any without anyone in the second car. And I would put Alonso. I did put Alonso in his own a little bit higher up, but it'll be interesting to see how they. How they perform, how the car performs. Connor, just you were about to say something there. Yeah, I would just like to say, in Stroll's defense, and I'm not, <laughs> by all means, don't take this as me saying he's the best, one of the best drivers on the grid, because I don't believe he is. But just to bring it back to the last season, the qualifying difference between Vettel and Stroll was 13 7 in Vettel's favor. So obviously, you're right, Vettel had a better season than Stroll, there's no doubt about it. However, in my opinion, if you're a full time world champion against someone of Stroll's level, you should be out-qualifying Stroll more than that, in my opinion, with a with a higher gap. Because Stroll is not the best qualifier either. However, in saying that, is that that Stroll's actually a better performer than we're giving him credit for in terms of maybe Vettel did have a sublime season and Stroll had a good, moderately good season, or maybe Stroll is underrated and Vettel didn't have such a great season. <laughs> I think that's a very fair question to ask. I think over one lap, certainly. I mean, like I say, he's got a pole position at a, a, a deserved one. He was phenomenal in the rain for, the, for that pole in Turkey. So I think over one lap, he's certainly got the pace. I think where he really struggles is on tyres. I think he's always struggled on his tyres in the race. Stroll, this is. He struggles over one lap in the dry, though. I think a lot of a lot of times, especially, I mean, he, he probably improved a little bit, but a lot of times, especially when he was teammates with Perez, he was struggling in qualifying compared to Perez. A lot of times he'd, be knocked out in Q1 or mm. Q2 and Paris would be in Q3 consistently. So mm. I, I, I think you know, Stroll's a fantastic wet driver and you're right about that, but I don't believe, I mean, it's my opinion, but in, in, in my opinion, he's not a standout qualifier in the dry. I think he's, I think he's probably one of the worst over one lap on the grid and, and then he, he makes it up over, over a race, I think. Well, it'll certainly be interesting to see where, where they finish this year again. It'll depend on how good the car is. And I thought the fact that they brought Dan Fallows out to talk about some of the technical changes was a good mark of confidence from them in their design team, in their technical team, that they've done something right here or they have plans. And they're, I mean, they, they, Felipe Djokovic and Jessica Hawkins said that in the... They, they, they said that in the simulator, the car felt good, but granted, everybody's going to say that and neither of them have driven a Formula 1 car really in a race. So it's probably the best thing they've both ever driven, to be fair. But they, they genuinely didn't seem like they were saying that as a scripted response. They both seemed pr- quite impressed by what they'd experienced. So I'm, I'm hopeful for Aston this year. I want Aston Martin to do well. Genuinely, I really do. I th- well, I think the brand is obviously one of the best sporting brands in the world. I think their cars are the most beautiful cars in the world. And I genuinely would like to see an Aston Martin winning a race or a world championship. But I just don't think they're going to do it with stroll in the second car we leave aston there there's a couple of other just small news bits this week there have been a couple of shakedowns a couple of teams has alfa romeo williams have all shaken down their new cars and there were a couple of photographers on the side to kind of spy on them the pictures i think of the has look really good i think that looks a really smart car on track it more than just in its twitter pictures i, I really really like the look of it but Coops, was there anything in the, the the tech breakdowns from that shakedown that that, that might be worth 
worth a shout out. The biggest one would be Alfa Romeo not having the cheese grate on the floor, but then we all, we all knew that was going to happen because, you know, people were like, oh, look at that. And it's like, that's not legal. And Connor was the first one to kind of mention to us, like, I'm pretty sure that can be done. Red Bull have a, had a shakedown, but, you know, they're filming it using a potato, if you've seen any of the clips online. Uh, so God knows what they were driving. It's a hard one to look at. It's When you look at it and you see the cars go and you get excited, oh, it's really nice, and you start noticing wee small points and wee bits and pieces. But, you know, they all come back with the same thing. Oh, I feel good to be in the car. Car feels good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can only you can only drive 100 kilometres and you, can, you can't even go up to full power. Um, You're not even allowed to, and it's... On four-way tyres in the dry. Yep, yeah, you know, exactly. So, you know, you're only driving fast enough to allow the drone to take your corporate pictures. Yeah. So there's very little that can be seen from it. But it's nice to see them all out. One thing I did think, though, when I was noticing that you had Alpine were out doing a shakedown before they've launched a car, which was interesting. Mm, which they, is did, weird. they were doing that today, and they're the last ones to, to, to launch their car officially. Uh, one thing I've always thought would be really good was to have a one or two day event where every car gets launched at the same place. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree Absolutely. with that. You know, yeah, they have it at Silverstone. You open it up to the public, and you have five teams on the Saturday, five teams on the Sunday. Everyone gets an hour or whatever. You can bring is you know ten guests, and you can have all your people there. They get the stage. Here's the car. Do the pomp. Everyone gets to have a chat about it. Then you have a wee break, the next team on, you know, maybe have Red Bull one day, Mercedes the next, to make sure you don't have them all. Nobody turning up for the hash livery and everybody turning up the day before. But <laughs> this this faffing about where you had, I think Haas were the end, was it Haas at the end of January with a livery, you know, putting out the livery on, online and, you know, you've got, you've got Alpine. Late. They, put it, they put it up late. The, the 25 minutes after they said they'd put it up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Red Bull were late. Well, that late that Domenicali couldn't actually talk about Ford because Domenicali, formerly the, the CEO of Formula One, was supposed to be at the launch to talk about Ford re- rejoining. Mm. Because they ran late, he had to leave, you know, because he's a very busy man. You know, I'd, I think that'd be great. You know, have it just have them out. They can have their own wee small thing, but, you know, have a weekend. A Saturday, Sunday, five and one day, five the other. Everyone's there. It could be an event a day. They can have their shakedown over the course of two or three days or whatever. Or even have the Friday, Saturday launches, Sunday shakedown day. And you can have a few fans watching. They, clearly, they don't want that because they don't want people with good cameras because we need them. The cameras we buy in our phones are good mm. enough to get to see some things. But, you know, I think Formula One are missing a trick. Would they ever get all teams to agree to it? Probably not. Nope, there's no way Mercedes and Rebel would agree to that. <laughs> but Mr. Ben Suleim, if you're listening, I know you've taken a step back. If you've taken a step back to plan something like this, we're all on board. Do it. Just do mm-hmm. it. <laughs> I think it would be great. But anyway, you know, we can we yep. can all but dream. We can indeed. And I think we will finish up there. There's not too much, and we've managed to squeeze a good bit of news and talking points out of relatively little news from this week. So thanks for that, lads. Launch date still to come is Ferrari tomorrow, giving us all a lovely red, assumedly, Valentine's Day present. Although, given the way all the rest of the cars are going, for all we know, it's going to be black. Although, how beautiful would that be? A black Ferrari with just like little yellow accents. Mercedes are the following day, Wednesday the 15th, and then Alpine finishes it off on the 16th because they wanted to do it last for 
for some reason. Testing is next week, Thursday to Friday, the 23rd to the 25th of February. And the first race is literally only around the corner. It's on Sunday, the 5th of March in obviously Bahrain. Limited testing this year, only the single session, but obviously everything is in evolution over last year. So they don't have to test engines or new designs or porpoising theoretically. So we'll only get the one test, but it is just around the corner and we are very, very much looking forward to that. You can keep track on all the latest news and reviews of all the new liveries as they come out and all the tech analysis that we can get our hands on on our website www.everythingf1.com all that's left for me to say is thank you to the, my my team for joining me this evening thanks very much coops no bother. thank you thank you very much connor it's been a pleasure and i'm hoping for a red ferrari because a black ferrari would just <laughs> no it has to <laughs> <laughs> well I, th I think that's fair to say that's the jinx we needed. So Black Ferrari is coming. You heard it here first. I think uh, I think I'm pretty sure it'll be a black Mercedes. I think they're going to go back to black. They've been hinting a well, lot Fred, online about black recently. Fred Vesser did say it would have red in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the logo is red and yellow, so you know it'll have at least a little bit of red. The halo will be red. That is it from us. Thank you very, very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on all socials at Join EF1 on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And do check out our website for more news and updates about these new car launches. Thanks very much for listening again. We will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye bye.